Well, good morning. Good to see all of you here. My name is John Trapp. I'm the senior pastor here at Christ the King. It's really great to be with y'all. Uh, one of the things that we believe at Christ the King is that this is not a place where you have to come and have your act together. In fact, this is a place for people who, who need help, who need grace. And um, one of the things that we do to remind ourselves of this every week is we look at God's word and we see what it has to say for people like me, people like you, who need the help of God's grace. And this passage we're going to look at today, it's a striking passage. Um, but one of the other things we believe at this church is that all of God's word is given to us in love for our good, including passages like this one. So if you'll turn in uh, your Bibles or if you want to grab the black Bible in front of you, it's in page 9, we'll begin in page 912 at Acts 4, uh, and I'm actually going to start at verse 32 of Acts 4, Acts 4.32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but... They had everything in common, and with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You've not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. And after an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last when the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Now, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem, and more than ever, Believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, as one uh, Southeast missionary once said, we are all beggars 
telling another beggar where they found bread. And so we come to you now um, as people who need you. And we ask that you would help us uh, to see how you, uh, how you generously provide uh, all that we need in Christ. Help us to see the truth about ourselves and the truth about you uh, now as we study your word together. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So y'all, this morning we're talking about hypocrisy. And the, the word hypocrite comes from the Greek word hypocritus, which was the Greek word for an actor. It literally means an interpreter from underneath. So this is referencing the way that the Greeks did their theater. They would have someone who would put on a mask, and from underneath this mask they would take on the form of whatever character they wanted people to see about them. And this, I want you to see, is actually a very human thing to do, to put on a mask, to hide underneath a mask. In fact, if Genesis 3 is true, it's a very interesting insight into the human experience, because in Genesis 3, we see the first man and woman's sin And the very first result of their sin is that shame enters into into the world and it makes them into hiders. They begin to hide. They see that they are naked so they hide from one another, but then they hear God coming and so they hide from God. We're hiders in our nature. And this is the opposite of what we were made for. We were made to be in communion with God. We're made to be in communion with one another. And yet what we see happen at the very beginning of the Bible is this attack, this attack on the first family. And here we have the first church family and everything looks like it's going great. And we shouldn't be surprised then that Satan enters the picture with a plan. While we're doing a little bit of Greek linguistics, um, the Greek word for devil, diabolos, comes, it shares a, a root with the verb diabolain, which means to split. To split. This is what satanic attack looks like division, splitting people from one another, making us hiders. And so here we see that not only in Genesis 3 does satanic attack come in the form of causing Adam and Eve to sin and to become hiders from one another, but now with the first family, the first church family is seeking to be divided with hypocrisy and hiddenness from one another. Uh, A commentator um, reflecting on this passage says, something I have learned about the devil is that he is peculiarly lacking in imagination. Over the years, he has changed neither his strategy nor his tactics nor his weapons. He is still in the same old rut. So a study of his campaign and the early church should alert us to his probable strategy for today. If we are taken by surprise, we shall have no excuse. And so, friends, we need to be aware that hypocrisy is not, as I honestly sometimes think of it, just you know, kind of one of those little white lie sin things that I do. 
Hypocrisy is a key page in the satanic playbook against God's people. And we see it played out here. And so I want to look at three things um, in regards to hypocrisy with you this morning. First, the allure of hypocrisy. Second, the danger of hypocrisy. And my third point is a surprise, because I want you guys on the edge of your seat. Right. First, the allure of hypocrisy. So what you see is that this actually starts with comparison. You've got this guy named Joseph who gets a nickname, which is kind of great. They're always giving each other nicknames in the Bible. I think that's really fun. And Joseph sells a piece of land. He brings it to the apostles' feet, saying, you know, do what you want with this. Bless people with this. There's a lot of needy people among us. Bless them. And he gets this nickname, son of encouragement. What an encouraging thing to do. And I want you to think about even how encouragement is kind of like the opposite of comparison. Encouragement flows from this security in ourself that we don't need more. And instead we can celebrate what's happening in somebody else's life. Comparison is the opposite of that in the sense that it flows from an insecurity that I don't have enough. And so when we see somebody else being elevated, we don't like it. And oftentimes it's this comparison that gives birth to hypocrisy. And this is what happens with Ananias and Sapphira. They see the son of encouragement doing this amazing thing and everyone patting him on the back and it bothers them. And so the hypocrisy begins. And we see this all in all kinds of ways in our lives. The ways that we will posture ourselves to be something that we're not. Can I give you like a, a, a small weird way I see this in my own life? Have you ever been with two people and they start quoting a movie, like a funny, funny quotes from a movie? This will happen to me if someone will be quoting from a movie and they'll be like, John, have you seen that movie? I'm like, yeah, I haven't seen the movie. Like, why do I lie about that? Why can't I just be like, guys, I haven't seen the movie. It sounds like a great movie. I should watch it. But instead, like, oh yeah, that part's hilarious. And then they ask me, what's your favorite part? I'm like, well, I don't know. What's your favorite part? Yeah. We do this because we're so insecure, right? And so we become like hypocrites. We become hiders. Other ways we do this, we lie on our resume. In a recent study, HR managers report having caught, 56% of HR managers report having caught a lie on someone's resume. You're probably not surprised to hear that. I, I, I actually, my first job out of college, I was a recruiter, and so I'd help people shape their resumes. So maybe, maybe you're not going to lie, but... Tell me a little bit about yourself. Let's, like, let's make you sound good. And they'd be like, oh, I don't know. I had a lemonade stand when I was in eighth grade. I was like, no, no, no. You didn't have a lemonade stand. You, had a, you were a small business entrepreneur with proprietary intellectual property that you developed and serviced a diverse population of residential clients. That's what you did. We, we want people to think better of us than we actually are. And so we live as hypocrites, hiding behind all kinds of things. This is what we do online. My favorite terms of the 21st century, virtue signaling. This is what we do. If you don't know what virtue signaling is, it's basically, I see a, a social cause that I believe is important. And so I will post about it on Facebook or on Twitter or whatever. And then that's where my action stops. 
Because what I really care about is less about whatever the refugee crisis that's going on or the need for orphan care in our world or the homelessness that's happening in our city. I care, what I really care about is that people think that I care about it. And so I will signal my virtuosity to them, to my, my crowd, my digital online crowd, so that people will think I'm a good person. But that's really all I care about, is what people think about me. And this is kind of Ananias and Sapphira's scheme. They see this radical generosity going on in their church, and they, they want some of the credit for that. And look, I have been, I'll tell you, I moved here when, and started being a youth pastor here when I was 23 years old, back in 2008. And I remember being really encouraged and kind of amazed at some of the radical generosity that I witnessed in this church when I moved here. I'd never seen anything like it. I remember specifically having the privilege of seeing one of you be particularly generous and asking about it. And your response was, this isn't my money to be generous with. It belongs to God. That was like a new concept to me. That was amazing to me. And what I hope to see in this church is more and more of that. That we would be looking like Acts, the Acts 4 church here who considered that their own belongings, they're not communists, but they considered their own belongings belong to God and that we get to steward them for his sake. And so what the danger though is that as we see one another doing that, that we're going to want to like one-up each other and get credit. And that's what happens with Ananias and Sapphira here. They see Joseph, a.k.a. Barnabas, do this amazing thing. And they didn't have to do it, right? They're not communists. What's Peter saying in verse 4? It's like, this was your property. This was your private property. No one compelled you to do this. Before you did it, and even after you sold it, the money still belonged to you, but you're lying about how much you're actually giving. Why are you doing that? It's their hypocrisy. Because it feels good to have people approve of you, doesn't it? That is the allure of hypocrisy. And y'all, we love approval. Houston runs on approval. And all of these different shapes and sizes of approval that we seek to get, it's just another mask that we're putting on. Think about the ways that we mask who we're friends with. Maybe there's somebody that you are kind of relationally adjacent to and they're like an important person or a powerful person or an influential person. And so we'll talk about them as if we're better friends than we actually are in a hypocritical way because we just want others to think well of us. Think about how we mask that or how, or how we mask the ways that we struggle with our eating or how we mask the ways that we struggle as parents. And so we look to our kids to get accomplishments and accolades so that people will look at our kids' accomplishments and make us feel better about the not perfect job that we're doing as parents. We want our kids' accomplishments as a mask. Young men, maybe, maybe you live with a feeling of anxiety and fear about the world that you find yourself in and the way that you cope with that is to act like you just don't care. Like you don't give a rip about it. 
That's like you don't care about what your friends think, about what your school thinks. I don't, I don't care about it. But actually, you deeply care. And so you put on a mask of not caring. Now I want you to think about how all of these different ways of mask wearing that we all do, how they all leave you hidden alone. They leave you alone in friendship or alone in disordered eating or alone in parenting or alone in your fears and anxieties and hurts. It ends up dividing us and this is the goal of the enemy because at its core, hypocrisy, according to Peter in verse 5-3, he says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Hypocrisy is demonic. It's from the satanic playbook. It's so close to like who Satan is because it's all about the elevation of the self. And listen to how the fall of Satan is described in Isaiah 14. How, are, how you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who lay the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will set on, sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself the most high. You are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. So what we see here is that Satan was concerned with the glory of the self, with his own approval. And this is what we see in Ananias and Sapphira, concerned about getting their own approval. So, secondly, the danger of hypocrisy. Excuse me. Let's be honest. We look at passages like this, and if we're honest, we kind of think it's a little bit of an overreaction. They were just hypocritical for a second and zap. And I think that that's telling of our hearts, of my heart, when I think that. It's actually telling of how sick my heart is, that I I don't think sin deserves this. You know, to somebody who doesn't understand cancer, chemotherapy seems like a massive overreaction, right? Right? But if you talk to a doctor at MD Anderson, they know, they know what's necessary. And hypocrisy is a cancer. It's dangerous to the church and God loves his church. And he knows, he knows how toxic our hypocrisy can be. And we see that, we see that institutionally in our world right now. I, I don't know if you, caught the 60 Minutes piece last week or the Wall Street Journal piece about the same whistleblower incident with Facebook. But a woman came forward from Facebook um, recently because she had been observing for years that Facebook has, while it postured itself and has postured itself as this kind of altruistic, one for all, all for one, we're making the world a better place, connecting people institution, that internally what they're not telling the world is that internally they have data that demonstrates that Facebook has been toxic for the mental health of teenagers in our world and Instagram which Facebook owns that it's actually been toxic for mental health and has caused is in part causing a mental health crisis that 
Facebook has self-knowledge that it has been complicit and contributed to genocides and insurrections and political upheaval on a global scale. But they're masked. Do you see how dangerous that is? It means that we need to think, it does mean, I'm not saying like get your kids all off Instagram like tomorrow. I'm not saying that. But we need to think critically about that as a community, about how we engage with things like this. Think about how hypocritical institutions have affected our world. Think about how that's manifested in the church, right? How many people in our world have been wounded or have simply left the church because of the hypocrisy that we have in these walls? We've got to own that. Listen, I, th- I believe that the church has rightly criticized the pro-choice movement's creed, my body, my choice. I, I think that um, we need to criticize this because what you do with your body affects other human lives, including the unborn. But friends, we are hypocrites if we say that and then in the next breath say my body, my choice to a friend who asks us to put on a mask for their sake. And this is not my big overarching, like John's overarching mask take policy here. What I'm asking is, have you given up on friendships and family relationships or are they, do you find them strained because you have simply been unwilling to inconvenience your personal freedoms for the sake of loving your neighbor? For the sake of loving the vulnerable among you. And listen, it's okay to disagree on exactly how that manifests itself. And I've been, I, I want you to know, have been encouraged by the ways that even our own church officers and staff have engaged with me and with one another in our disagreements about how to do masking and how to do all of this sort of thing. It's okay to disagree, but what I want you to see is that it's not worth being divided over. And I want to say a special thank you to those who who are still even watching this service from their homes because they disagree with how we're doing masking right now. We love y'all. And we're thankful to try to be united with you still. And what I want you, what I want us to think about is what are ways, what are ways that we as a church can move away from hypocrisy and towards charity and grace. Let us not be a place that preaches, we preach this, while we were sinners, Christ died for us, right? While we were God's enemies, Jesus entered time and space and died for us. How can we preach that and then in the next breath, hate our enemies? When the Lord Jesus says, pray for your enemies, love your enemies, Pray for those who persecute you. Friends, what kind of witness can we offer to our city and to our world to actually live out the theological truth that we say that we believe? Because have have no doubt, Acts is very clear that the Lord has a distaste for hypocrisy. Um, one of the things to keep in mind as we study through the book of Acts is that Acts is not always prescriptive of like what we should expect 
kind of everyday Christian life to look like. This was a really special age, an apostolic age that was happening as they were giving witness to the apostles had been given special like power to give witness to the resurrection of Jesus. And so, and by the way, miracles I do believe still happen. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that sometimes in the Bible, we just get like a snapshot. God pulls back the veil and he shows us, this is what I think about sin. We see it happen a couple times in the Old Testament. And then we see it happen here with Ananias and Sapphira. We see all throughout the Bible that God, he doesn't have anger issues. He's actually slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He's incredibly patient. But this story, it does show us how God feels about our hypocrisy. And it's consistent with what Jesus says about how he feels about hypocrisy. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Those are the religious people. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful but within you are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. What might that sound like today if the religious folk of today were addressed? Maybe it would be something like this. Woe to you, Christ the King member. You outwardly appear moral to the praise of your peers. You serve on nonprofits and even sit on some boards, but in the quiet of your home or when you are raging at your family or when you pick up your phone at 12 a.m. with no one else around, you are full of uncleanness. You love the appearance of righteousness you give to others, but you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Why does God hate hypocrisy? Because it leads people astray he's the good shepherd and he doesn't want his sheep to be led astray and hypocritical Christians make the world think that Christianity is just about Sunday morning appearance about fake smiles and God hates that and we see that in this passage and it's a scary story verse five and by the way I love Luke the 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 author of Acts he's a good historian you know he could have glazed over some details in this, but in verse 5 and 11, he's like, this scared people. He tells you multiple times, this filled people with fear. But, you know, it's tempting to say, to get to this point of the sermon, is to be like, y'all, we are hypocrites, and man, we gotta do better. Let's pray that we'll be better at not being hypocritical. Let's pray. Okay. That's not good news. And kids, listen, maybe you're going to go to college one day, you'll, you'll move to a different city, and you're going to have to think about, like, what church am I going to go to? What kind of church do I, do I go to? If you go to a church and you hear God's word preached, and when you leave, you think, that wasn't good news, don't go back. Because they're not preaching the gospel of Jesus. The gospel literally means good news. Are you ready for the surprise? Do you see verse 14? That's surprising. Because this scary thing is happening. Everyone's talking about it. Ananias and Sapphira dropped dead. We buried them out back right next to each other. 
and more and more people were becoming Christians. What? Why? The surprising truth is that there's hope for hypocrites. That God, who both wants purity for his church, he also welcomes and fills his church with sinners who need grace. And Ananias and Sapphira, um, they are a reminder to us that we need to repent. We said this last week, but repentance is essentially admitting the truth, not hiding, admitting the truth to, your, to God about yourself. The question is, can you do that? Will he accept you? Now, I want you to see that there's a great irony in this passage. Because one of the ways that we know that there's hope for hypocrites is that there's actually two other hypocrites not named Ananias and Sapphira in this passage. And they're named Barnabas and Peter. I'm, I'm not just like, I'm not making this up. Galatians 2, like years after this happens, Paul writes Galatians 2 and he, he calls out Barnabas and he calls out Peter for their hypocrisy. Listen. But when Cephas, another nickname, Peter, it's Peter, they love nicknames. Anyway, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I, Paul, opposed him to his face because he stood condemned for before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas, yes, same Barnabas, son of encouragement, even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you though a Jew like a, live like a Gentile and not a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Friends, the call to hypocrites like Ananias and Sapphira and like Peter and like Barnabas and like John Trapp and like you is to repent, stop hiding. Repent and believe that Jesus is actually enough. How do we stop doing that? How do we stop living as hypocrites? How do we believe that Jesus is enough? I'll close with this story. Ken Venturi uh, is a famous golfer in the 70s, won a couple major championships. Now he's one of the guys who talk whispers on the Masters um, when you listen to that. But uh, when he was a player, he was, he was a great young player. He grew up playing with his dad all the time. He loved to play. But he developed carpal tunnel in his wrists. And it was a really, really serious case. It debilitated him a couple times. He'd make a comeback and he'd get re-injured. He finally went to the, the top specialist in the world in San Francisco with his dad. They go into the office, they meet with him. And the specialist looks at all the x-rays. He sits him down and he says, listen, Ken, here's the deal. Um, you can do some kind of therapy and keep playing, but you will likely at some point lose the use of your hands. Or I can do the surgery and you will lose the ability to play golf. So I'm gonna let you process that for a little bit and I'll be back. And Ken said that he just sat in the room in silence with his dad. And a few minutes later, the doctor comes back in and sits down and says, okay, what are you thinking? And Ken just looks at his, looks at his dad. He doesn't know what to do. 
And his dad stands up and walks over and he kisses his son. And he looks at him in his eyes and he says, Ken, you're the best I ever saw. And Ken Venturi looks at the doctor and he says, do the surgery. My dad thinks I'm good. Y'all, how do we how do we take the masks down? How do we let go of our need for approval from all these other places and people? It's to see that we have the approving smile of the Father who thinks you're good. He loves you because of what Jesus has done. And so repenting and believing is coming out of our hiding and then believing on Christ, that Christ is enough. And because Christ is enough, we follow him with our lives. Man, I want that for this church. I want that for me. I want that for y'all. Like, don't you want to rest? Don't you want to rest from all the posturing, from all the mask wearing? Jesus invites you to that. Heaven is full of hypocrites. Repentant, recovering hypocrites. And there's an invitation to us. So let's repent and believe. And let's follow him with the way that we live our life. May it be so that the theology of this place and of our individual lives matches the way that we manifest our lives in the world. May the Lord do that for his glory and for our good. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your grace. Help us to rest in it today. Help us to live in light of it this week. And we pray that you would do this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.